A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Start spreading the news. Listen to this. That's what New York sounds like from the New Yorker Hotel. I'm sticking the microphone out the window. Now, I hope that person's okay. Is that an ambulance? Or is that a police car? Oh, I don't know. Closing the window and sitting back in my very tiny shoebox hotel room to say welcome to On The Mic. The reason why I'm in New York is I'm shooting a movie called Robot 4 with legendary director Mark Toya. So excited to be in this film. I auditioned almost a year ago and I can't believe it's actually happening. It's a science fiction thriller and tonight I'm shooting my scene on the Brooklyn Bridge. There may be tears, there may be death, but I don't want to give away too much because you've got to see this movie when it comes out, Robot 4. Keep an ear out for it. But right now on the mic, welcome to the show. Thank you for subscribing and giving us a review if you've already done it. If you haven't, please do it so we can keep doing this podcast and maybe even make a contribution on patreon.com. You get exclusive footage, admission to our secret Facebook page. We may even give you tickets to events, like there's an event that I'm doing with Matt Delavadova in Melbourne on Saturday. Yeah, could it be back in Melbourne on Saturday? Life is crazy right now. Um, but yeah, please make a donation, be a part of the show, patreon.com forward slash on the mic. Yep, I'll be at Amart Sports Chadston with Matt Delabadova. He's the $38 million player with the Milwaukee Bucks. Aussie that is just doing brilliantly with the NBA. And he's out to promote his new shoe range called Deli Ones. So come on down, maybe even buy some Deli Ones or he might sign them or give you a pair. Meet Matt Delavadova at 11am Amart Sports Chadston in Melbourne, 1341 Malvern Road in the Chadston Shopping Centre, East Malvern. I will see you there at Amart Sports. And how good is it that the NBL are taking on the NBA? It's a testament to how brilliant our teams are in Australia. The Sydney Kings are playing the Utah Jazz in early October. And I believe Melbourne United are going to be having a game. And so, yeah, Brisbane Bullets are playing. It's interesting that the Perth Wildcats didn't get a run in against an NBA team because they just won the championship earlier this year. But it all fires up again in October. And very exciting to see that the City Kings get a run and they're going over to play the Utah Jazz. The last time that, that anything like this happened is like 20 years ago, where I think it was actually the Perth Wildcats who got absolutely slaughtered against uh, an NBA team. I'm not sure which one it was, but this is really exciting for the sport in Australia. And congratulations to everyone that got this deal together. Okay, right now, Mike Rolls. In September 2001, St Kilda local Mike Rolls had the world at his feet. He was in high spirits on his way to his annual football trip. Little did he know that he would be struck with meningococcal septicemia towards the end of his trip, leaving him unconscious for five weeks. Doctors gave him a 5% survival rate. He woke up, legs are gone, all sorts of other horrible stuff happened to him. He'll tell you all about it in his amazing story. Great sense of humor. He's a brilliant human. Recorded at Hamilton Island, 
This is Mike Rolls. Check. One, two, three. On the mic. Test, test, test. With Mike Goldman. Mike Rolls here on the mic. How you doing, legend? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. It's fantastic to be here. Hamilton Island is where we are at the moment. And if you don't know where that is and you're overseas wondering where the hell are these guys, it's in the beautiful Wit Sundays in Queensland. And we're up here uh, doing a little corporate gig for a company called Bay Audio. Um, audio audiologist specialists. They're in shopping malls all over Australia and soon to be around the world where you go get your ears checked. Sure can. I'm the MC for the event and Mikey Mike over here is uh, doing like a motivational talk. Yeah, just telling a bit of a few stories on a, on a Saturday night. Man. Was, yeah, good fun, absolutely. You have got some stories, mm-hmm. my friend, and welcome to On The Mic. That's what we're here for, to tell stories. You get up on the mic and tell your incredible story of uh, when, you're a, when you're a kid. I think you're, it was 2001? 2001, yeah. I believe you, um, you, were on your, you had the world at your feet. Yeah, literally. You, and then, uh, away on your minute, footy trip. No and feet. the next minute you, uh, you were unconscious and diagnosed with uh, meningococcal. Which um, which is a, was a shock to you when you woke up in bed. I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, like you said, world at my feet. Uh, healthy, happy, 18-year-old kid, fit as a fiddle, playing footy. And we decided to oh, go on down to, uh, you know, a football trip in Tasmania, as you do. Uh, enjoy the end of the season with your mates. And uh, went off to the trip. And at some point along the line, I got sick. I got this awful uh, bacterial disease, bacterial meningitis. And, uh, and I don't even remember any of the trip at all. Uh, basically, all I remember was getting dropped off to a buddy's house. He was taking me to the airport, flew over to Hobart. Apparently, I had a fantastic time down there on the football trip, but at some point along the line, I got really sick, and I was too sick to fly home from the airport. Uh, rushed to Royal Hobart Hospital, and uh, then I slipped into a coma and spent the next five and a half weeks unconscious and woke up back at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne. And uh, basically, just the, uh, the, the S had hit the fan, basically. The shit had hit the fan. You yeah, can say absolutely. shit in this I can podcast. say shit? Oh, even wonderful. Though, even though apparently I said fuck last night when I was hosting the event. Okay, so, we, okay. so basically, <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, the, the, the shit had definitely hit the fan by this point. I didn't say fuck last night when I was hosting I the event. I think you did. I two think two was... old, old dears downstairs at breakfast before at the, the uh, Reefview Hotel here in Hamilton Island said, yeah. said to Mike, and he only <laughs> told me, Oh, that Mike Goldman, he said, fuck, on stage. <laughs> but, but the reason I why remember. I did, if I did, is because a fire alarm went off yeah. because fireworks had been exploding everywhere on stage. Anyway. Yeah, you say some funny things when you're fearing for your life. What if there was a fire? Exactly. <clears throat> That's what I thought. I would have saved them. Get the fuck out! Hey, buddy, um, such a, a, an unbelievable thing to happen. And uh, for those of the, the people that don't understand what meningococcal is, can you just give us a brief explanation of what it is I can. and how you contract it? Yeah, so everyone always uh, wants to know how you contract it. And um, it's basically, you catch it the same way you do any uh, a regular cold, which is what makes it so terrifying for the, the general public. So but it's just airborne, it's yeah, floating it's, around well, right it lives now. On, apparently the bacteria lives on the back of the throat. 20% of the population carry the, the, the bacteria, but it only becomes active at certain times of the year. So I guess it's one of those... The moon has to align with the stars and everything like that in order for you to be susceptible. And when you get the bacteria, it starts as meningitis and then it enters the bloodstream from what I understand and starts to disperse throughout the body and multiply very quickly. And then it starts to coagulate your blood. Mm. So that's what causes these horrific injuries. When uh, when it starts to filter, the septic shock goes through the body. Uh, the bacteria is multiplying very quickly and it starts to clot your extremities. Anything furthest away from the heart starts to clot very quickly. 
So for instance, my right leg went completely black um, over that five and a half week period and they leave things as long as they possibly can. And you can imagine obviously my family being completely uh, distraught. They had to come in and tell them, well, you need to sign consent forms for Mike to have his legs amputated. And you can imagine that for a mother or father making oh, that decision yeah. uh, because they'd, they'd gone black and they leave them for a period of time because mm. they want to see what comes back. So for instance, a couple of my fingers went black, but then they came back because there was a pink tip at the end. So they leave it to the last minute. And then if it's not going to come back, they amputate because if you leave it on there, it'll keep reinfecting you mm. and therefore you'll get sicker and sicker and eventually you'll die. So it's absolutely necessary that they need to amputate. And that's what makes this meningococcal disease so very, very scary and terrifying for all uh, parents and, and anyone for that matter in uh, in the general public because it can it's really indiscriminate it can affect anybody is it, is it still in your system no no not at all so once they give you the antibiotics it kills the bacteria and then you uh, one of the first questions i asked when i woke up because i'm like can you catch it again i just i don't know why but that was one uh, thing that came to my mind i'm like geez i feel like absolute shit i hope this doesn't yeah. happen again because you were saying something the other day um about 20% of people have it or it's at the back yeah, of the so, throat so some of the year? Yeah, so carriers. So apparently, um, these are all technical. Like you'd have to, you'd be better off. I mean, doctors would be able to answer this. So there's people, uh. doctors probably out there going, that's not how it happens. But, you know, yeah. I'm not a doctor, but all I know of it and, uh, you know, what I've learned and, and read about it, it lives on the back of mm. uh, a, a percentage of the population's throat. Mm. And, and then they can pass it on through kissing or mm. through uh, sharing drinks, sharing yes. cigarettes, coughing, someone breathes in, those mm. sorts of things. And... Uh, they don't really know, they can't pinpoint the moment that I've got it, mm. but I can imagine being on a football trip, mm. God knows what was going on. So, yeah. you know. Um, There's a couple of versions of it though. Uh, one of them, one of which that we do get immune immunization in Australia. Yes. For. But there's one, the one that you got that it isn't standard to get immunized well, against. Yeah, it's a really interesting conversation because at the moment, uh, there's uh, a lady in Sydney that I, I do a bit of work with, Eliza O'Connell, and she works for Meningococcal Australia, and she's lobbying to get the vaccinations uh, mandatory uh, across the board. But the problem with it is I got meningococcal C. Now, meningococcal C is now part of the vac National Vaccine Register. And last year, there was only five cases of meningococcal C, which is tiny. But the problem is now there's different strains. So there's meningococcal W, X, and I think there might be A as well. And there's a number of them. So if you've got to get uh, individually vaccinated for each. Now, that's a real problem if you've got a number of kids and the vaccinations are expensive. So that's why uh, Eliza's doing some wonderful work mm. and trying to get it um, on the register. So How that much of a chance is there of getting it if you're not immunized? Like so for one in... A thousand, no. a million, ten million. Yeah, it's one. It's basically. I think uh, I looked at some statistics from. I think it was two thousand and fifteen. Two hundred and twenty-two people got the disease mm. across Australia, and of that number, um, only twelve percent got seriously ill or lost limbs, like I did, um, or, or died. So, um, it's around a one in a million chance, really, to get um, really sick and die from it. But they do often, if you get it early and, and they deliver uh, antibiotics, you can get rid of it. But we get immunised against smallpox. Everything, yeah. And, and and the last smallpox case, I believe, was um, in Africa in in like the early seventies. Yep. But we still get immunised against that. I think maybe because there's a, a lot more of a, a, a prevalence in terms of how many people get it. Now, yeah. you can imagine the government saying, well, okay, um, 222 people out of 26 million or whatever we've got in this country yeah. get the disease a year. Is it worth putting that on? Well, I, I would say yes, because mm. you look at what it does to people and what it can do to families and destroy. You know, I've spoken mm. to people that have lost people from an injecocle and, you know, people never get over that. And it, and being in Australia in a very yeah. privileged country, just, just get it on because... 
they don't you don't no one should have to go through life with with you know no limbs and i've met people plenty of people for that matter there's a group of people i've met that are in this thing called the quad squad hmm they got no no arms and no legs from it, you know. Quad squad. Quad squad. That's what they call themselves. You know, sounds like a movie. Yeah, exactly. But they've got uh, two prosthetic arms and two prosthetic legs, and it's all from bacterial meningitis, pneumococcal, those sorts of diseases. And, and what are those guys like? Um, they're f- amazing, yeah. amazing people. Yeah, and, you, and I've met them at a, an amputee expo recently, and um, one called Corinne Barrett. She's she's done the. Uh, she lives in Brisbane, so I think she did the. There's a there's some sort of marathon up there mm. where they go across a bridge, and she did that. She's wonderful person but you know the way that it affects you and the injuries that you're left with not just externally but internally as well is horrific and mm. it, and if there's a way we can stop it which there is yeah. then that should be uh, the norm in Australia is it the norm in any other countries it is apparently they're bringing it uh, this is all again this is the stuff that you need Eliza would be the best person to speak to on this mm. but from what I know uh, they have brought it into I think the UK Germany and some parts of Scandinavia have mm. brought it on as mandatory mm. particularly the W uh, which is particularly deadly um, people have you know that's become more prevalent that's gone from C being the normal one now W has become the one that people are starting to catch and unfortunately it there? affects kids oh there's like I don't know one for every letter probably I don't know no what? there's uh, there's uh, I think there's the ones I know of um, I had C meningococcal C and then there's uh, W and I think there's X and I know A A is there too but there's certain strains that are more prevalent than others mm. All right, let's start talking about the, yeah, the disease. Heavy, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Rolls, no for giving all. us all that information. Because, I mean, it's it's good to sort of get a, a basic understanding of, of what it is and where it comes from and how you contract it so we can um, get a snapshot of, of your life and, and, and what you've been doing since since you've uh, become a double amputee and, and the lives that you've been changing and how you've been using that as a positive in yeah, your life rather than, rather than a negative. Uh, like last night, you got up on stage here at the uh, what was the the yacht club, the brand new amazing yacht club here at Hamilton Island. Oh, I forget the name. Yeah, and but it's a wonderful venue. the Bommy, I think the, they call yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, it's such an incredible place. Um, there's a, a a sailboat called uh, Wild Oats Eleven that won one of the biggest yachting races here in Australia many many times, called the Sydney to Hobart, and they've got it they've got it cut up into pieces and put all all over this Bommy over this big yacht club. And it's incredible. And uh, Mike got up and, and did a, a talk for about an hour last night about uh, what basically talked us through the disease. Yeah. Like, uh, like you just told us some of that. And then... Um, the, Life beyond, really. Yeah. And, mm. and, and going going through the, the journey and with your parents having to make those horrible decisions. Yeah. Like, do we cut off his leg? Do we cut off his fingers? Signing the, the forms to, to be able to do that. And um, how was it starting off as a, as a kid when your parents were, you know, were first taking you home for those first initial days. Yeah. What was going through your mind then? Well, it was a six total six-month stay in hospital. So getting me home, I was I was still, you know, just a bag of bones. I went from 80 kilos down to 47 kilos um, at my sickest. So, well, you know, like we said, physical injuries, external injuries are bad, but internal injuries too, my whole guts were ruined. You know, everything starts to shut down. So I'm being fed through this tube, only starting to eat food. Everything I'd eat, I'd bring up, you know, like I wasn't keeping anything down, couldn't put any weight on. Mm. So the pain factor was just enormous. And then it was all about, you know, everything, when any crisis happens in anyone's life, everything gets put on hold. You know, nothing else matters. You know, we tend to worry in everyday life about our job and, oh, you know, someone said something bad about me, all these mm. sorts of things, these trivial things in our life that we worry about. But when something serious happens, that all goes out the window. Mm. And the only things that really matter then are your family mm. and the people that matter most mm. and getting things better. And that's what 
my whole family shifted from being, you know, just a just a regular run of the mill, awesome mm. family. I've got a wonderful family. Yeah. But then our whole lives were turned upside down. Then it was just all a matter of, you know, everyone banded together and, and everyone pitched in. You know, everyone was helping with, you know, taking me to and from rehab, um, getting my, um, you know, you know, helping me with meals and things like that because at that point I couldn't really, I was, I was basically useless, mate. Mm. And, and where did the positivity come from to, to help you get get back on your on your new legs and, and get up yeah. there and, and learn to walk and walk properly properly I think just just being uh, just having a real zest for life you know I wasn't done living at that point in time I wasn't sitting there and saying well this is you know this means my life's over it's like well okay well it could have been worse I could have lost my arms for, for instance mm. and I think the positivity and and also there was a real sense of okay well look how much my family has done for me and they've banded together. I owe it to them in some ways as well to go, okay, well, I'm going to make the best of the situation. Let's move on. Let's move forward. Um, I, and and learning about prosthetic legs and, and it was a step-by-step process. So it went from, you know, a huge goal was sitting on the side of the bed without throwing up. That was a big goal. That was that was my, my number one objective at one point in time. Yeah. Then that moves from, okay, well, now it's uh, getting to and from bed to a wheelchair and wheelchair to a bed. That became mm-hmm. the second goal. So it's baby steps, really. And then it was getting a leg on, being able to walk, till eventually it was like, okay, well, now reconnect socially. You know, there was all this this process that I had to mm-hmm. go on and make baby goals because if I sit there and I'm lying in the hospital bed and I'm thinking, well, I'm probably never going to run again, mm-hmm. all of a sudden your motivation disappears. Who, who helps you make those baby goals, as you call them? I, I think it was internal. And I think, you're, you know, when, you, when you're being advised by physios and yeah. they're telling you, you know, one step at a time, one day at a time, that helps as well. Yeah. Um, but having realistic and achievable goals is a really important thing to do because you can't just, you know, set the bar too high because you'll never reach it and it's very demotivating. Mm. So it was just a matter of step by step and uh, eventually one thing turned into another and I was able to, to do some things that, uh, you know, I was, I was really proud of doing, you know, being able to get back to uh, a relatively normal life and, um, and, and being happy, I guess you could say. How do you drag yourself out of like the depression stage where yeah. you, you, you just get real, you must have had some dark moments? Absolutely. You know, I would be an absolute liar if I, did, if I sat there and go, yeah, I didn't have any bad days. It was all fun and games. Mum would come in, I'd crack jokes. That wasn't the case. Um, there was days where I wanted to, you know, throw my breakfast tray at the nurse when she came in. You know, there was times I was, I remember one did time. You? Yeah, I felt at one time. It's funny, I went to Caulfield Rehab and I got... Uh, this became a very a lot of you know joke fodder and everything like that. But yeah. I was room next to a fella um, named Ron, and he and he was and he had an intellectual disability. And I feel terrible now talking about this, but he'd come in and he would always talk to me every single day. And I wasn't really in the right frame of mind to exp- have the Ron experience at that point in time. <laughs> and he'd come in and he'd go, "Hello, like this. How are you? Like this oh, all cute. day." And he was a like I wish I could meet him now, His heart's in the right but at place. the time and in that in that frame of mind, yeah, his heart was in the right place, yeah. and and it would bug me, and I would be, and I would, you know, we'd share a bathroom, I'd hear him in the shower, in the toilet all night, yeah. and I really didn't have a lot of tolerance at that point in time, and yeah. and I feel I feel terrible now thinking back to that, but yeah. at the same time, I'm like, you know, I was going through my own thing, and I yeah. thought, you know, that was that was a really um, tough situation and he'd come in like my parents would be there or I'd have a visitor from my, one of my mates and he'd just wheel himself in his wheelchair yeah, and he'd yeah. be like what's your name what are you doing yeah. like this and he'd, he'd talk to everyone and I'd be like oh can you you know can you go away type thing thinking back that probably broke your chain of thought and, and if you were in a bad way it sort of took the focus off you to, to something else that was going on I guess yeah I 
like there was just so much going on. It mm. was like, okay, well, what do I, you know, day to day, it was in this, you went from this state of the art Alfred Hospital to Caulfield. Now, it's not a fantastic place. The ward was built, you know, after World War One to house a returning soldiers. What? And so yeah. they haven't fixed it up since well, then? Well, they, they kind of have, but at the same time, the amputee ward was brand new. So mm. when I got up to rehab, it was fantastic. Everything was like spiffy. You know, mm. you'd go there and you'd be doing your rehab, then you'd go to this, to this on this massive long cold tunnel called the breezeway where you'd get wheeled down back to the ward and you'd basically just start sh- sobbing on the way down and go no don't take me back i don't want to go here you know this is what would happen and then uh you'd go in there and then at one point i had to share a room with four other guys uh, one of the guys was you know an alcoholic and i'm thinking like how did i get here 18 years old running around a football field trying to chase you know girls have lots of fun um with all my friends and now i'm stuck in a rehab ward with people that had lost their legs from you know, diabetes, older people. One guy was, you know, uh, he would have been in his 90s. And how, like, how did I get here? What, where did this, you know, how did this situation even even happen? So keeping a positive frame of mind in that period, um, the only thing I think that kept me positive was, hey, I need to get myself up and moving so I can get the hell out of here. And, and you home. did? Yeah, I did. Okay, fast forward to today. You're traveling around Australia and the world and you're, you're getting up and doing these amazing talks about your life. And, and what would you say the focus is on your talk? Last night I got from it that it's, you know, um, you know in, in the face of adversity, turning your life around and, yep. and, and focusing on the positive. But um, from your perspective, what, what do you feel like it, it's yeah, doing for people I think getting up and doing your thing? I think it's, uh, it's uh, my, my point of difference is certainly around... Um, the whole idea that when we, you know, getting rid of these negative things that, that exist in our lives. Mm. And as I said, you know, my initial injuries, I lost, lost my right leg and my half of my left foot. Mm. And I kept that, that leg for around about eight years. And it was something that was stopping me from moving on completely. I had still had a wound on the foot and I'd dress mm. it and all this sort of stuff, mate. It was a pain in the ass. And mm. it used to stop me from doing things I wanted to do. Every time I'd do anything strenuous, it would mean that I'd spend a couple of days waiting for this foot to heal. Mm. And then it would break down again, sometimes get infected. It was a real nightmare. And I guess that's what I encourage people to do. And, and getting people to relate to something that's one in a million. And really, you know, people can't sit there and go, well, I wonder, you know, I, I, can, ex- I can understand what Mike went through. It's, it's a really out of this world scenario to get really sick like I did. So getting them to relate to it in their own lives, it's like, well, okay, well, I amputated my left leg nine years on and I was able to do some great things as a result of that. So therefore the message is, go out there and make really tough decisions, get rid of the things that are holding you back and don't just leave things and accept things as they are in your life. So that's that's where my point of difference is. It's like amputate the dead weight that exists in your life in order to move on and create a better future and a better life for yourself. So what was that like when you, you had um, one leg amputated and the other one you were thinking about whether you should cut it off or not like how do you yeah. make that decision yourself well it's interesting i i when they originally did it they just said look mike's so sick let's just uh it was a guillotine chop through the middle of the arch of the foot mm. so it was just left as is they they put a skin graft over it mm. and they said look he's gonna maybe have to do something about that in in a little while let's just focus on getting him better because he's so sick at the t- at, at this moment so what happened up with that, it kind of just was this loose end that we had, that I had, that I was dealing with. And I didn't, as you can imagine, didn't really want to jump back into a hospital bed, mate. You know, it was, yeah. wasn't exactly the first thing. Yeah, okay, six months. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. More surgery. Just go back and do the other so leg. So I kind of just got on with things the best yeah. I could. And I didn't realize how destructive it had become. And then eventually I got diagnosed with a bone infection in that foot. And that really pushed me over the edge. That was like, okay, it's nine years on. I've recovered. I think, you know, I needed those nine years in some ways, but... 
I look back now and I always say to people, oh, geez, I wish I'd have done it sooner. Maybe I wasn't ready to do it sooner. Mm. Maybe it did take that time to, to come to that tough decision. And I, I, I did my research. I, um, I identified how much it was costing me in my life. And I said, look, I'm, you know, I'll be damned in five years if this is still the situation. Mm. So I took some really um, definitive action and, and decisive action and, and an action that I, I guess people would question me on. Uh, family, mm. friends would say, wait, wait, you know, maybe you should try something else. Why don't you try and do mm. uh, something where you can try and save the foot? Or And, mm. I'd, and I'd been there and done that. that was, yeah, you've been to hell and no back. Way, and you, you've no lost way. a leg already. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and you're going to do it again? Well, I guess here's another thing. I knew what it was like to be a baloney amputee. Yeah. So I could say, oh, well, I know my right leg is my good leg. Mm. I know how, how, how it is. I know what, what it takes to wear a leg and to use a leg properly. So I had that benefit. So I'm like, you know what, chop it off. And it wasn't an easy thing. It was a really intensive operation. But eventually, once I got up and, and, and had a leg on, I had a shrinker on. They took, I had 74 stitches in the leg. So it was a crazy, wow. um, you know, huge, huge operation. They did a complete reconstruction of the limb. And once I got the stitches out, I put the shrinker on, was able to get a leg fitted. And then when I was uh, up and away, I was basically pain-free. And I, once I built that quadricep, which had wasted a little bit on the left side, I was able to do some amazing things and really move on with my life in a, in a totally different uh, different setting than, than previously. How long did it take you to be able to walk on, on two? Not long at all. Of the legs? Pretty much straight away. As soon as I was able to, to, to fit the leg, stand on the leg, and then use it with crutches, eventually I was just like, yep, I'm, I'm off and away. And then I was, it was just a, it was an amazing feeling. Um, and it was probably the best, uh, in terms of my recovery, that was the best uh, thing I've ever done in my recovery. And it was able to, I was able to, you know, be balanced, pain-free relatively, didn't have to dress. I was able to get back in the water because I wasn't allowed to swim for, that, for those many years. Because if you go into a public swimming pool, you can't really, um, you know, use them because I had an open wound and there was a big risk of infection. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I didn't really do any swimming. So that was, you know, that was a great thing. But now you can. You've got your merman flippers. Yeah, absolutely. You had some, I saw uh, a photo last night yeah. as a part of your show. You, you're showing all your different legs there. You've got eight legs, eight different legs, legs that yep. you use, Spider-Man. And, um, and you've also got these massive fins. Yeah, so... What was that like being a merman? Was that one of your dreams come true? Yeah, it was always, you know, I I, uh, I never really met a mermaid uh, when I was <laughs> out, out there and about. And all the, uh, all the people up here in Hamilton Island went on the reef trip and I, I, I chucked in the old... Did anyone see me out there? I was a merman swimming around. But uh, <laughs> I get to actually swim faster than uh, than I did prior when I, when I used really? to have my feet. So, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Because as you can imagine, I can kick my little stump legs mm. as it, when, I, when I've got them on really, really quickly and... I guess there's always this thing for amputees where they make your swimming leg where you've got this foot does this amazing thing where it points, right? Yeah. And then you put a flipper on it, but then you're dragging this heavy thing in the water yeah. and it doesn't really work. No. So I, came, I, I spoke to my prosthetist. I'm like, hey, listen, I just want to get something um, malleable. So it's like a rubber socket type material. And I want to turn it just into a flipper. I don't want feet. So mm. I go to the water's edge, put these things on and away I go and I'm, I'm equal both sides and I can kick really fast, get back to doing surfing, uh, scuba diving, swimming, all those sorts of things and, and really, you know, improve your fitness because one of the great things about, you know, you can have running legs and in terms of cardio, getting in the water, you're not weight-bearing. So it's a wonderful thing for amputees to be in the water. The technology is amazing and it's come such a long way. I mean, you mentioned Caulfield. They've got the same facility that they've had since the 60s. Yeah, yep. And uh, you, you look at them now. I was a stadium announcer at the Paralympic Games in Sydney 2000 and I was talking to a few of the athletes and about the technology and how it's it's just coming along in leaps and bounds and yeah. eventually they they're going to be running faster than the, the people with actual real legs um tell us a bit about the technology that you've you've got in in these things and how well they work because oh. you you walk around like 
uh, like you wouldn't even notice you in no, a crowd because no. it's not like you sort of got this weird um, limp or galloping like limpy yeah. thing. Like you, you walk like you, you, there's nothing wrong. Well, um, there's. I mean, the, the technology. I worked with a guy for six months, and I used to always wear long, long pants. And uh, he had no idea I was an amputee until I told him, and he's like, "Get out of town." I'm like. No, I, I honestly don't have any legs. And he's like, yes, you do. He goes, why? He thought I was having a joke. And I showed him and he nearly uh, fell off his chair. He's wow. like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. And then started wearing shorts. And I wear shorts all the time now, so I wander around. But the technology from 2001 even, and when you would have experienced and had, had yeah. been around other amputees, has just come in leaps and bounds. Mm. These legs here I got three months ago. And they're the latest reflex rotates from a company called Osso, which is an Icelandic company. And they uh, retail, like they're about $12,000 each leg to, to set up. But the the way I can walk is 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 really, these are the state of the art, the best legs for balloonies at the moment. But there's also a catch to that. You can't just get a leg and say, yeah, I'm going to walk fantastic. You've got to work on it too. So it's all about core strength, yeah. making sure your quads are up and going um, and, and, and your hip strength and all that sort of stuff is in alignment. Yeah. So I work hard in the gym on, in terms of my core to give yeah. me the, the best gait and the best ability to How walk. How often do you do that? How often do you hit the- Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Gym. about three days a week I try and get to the gym mm. any more than that I, I tend to get pretty sore I don't lift really heavy weights I lift uh, light weights but high reps and make sure that I just want to just you know I go to the gym for functionality I don't go, go there to you know flex, flex biceps because I don't have any biceps really mm. and so um, sit ups chin ups what kind uh, sit ups I do a lot of stuff with pulleys so I, I go across and I play a lot of golf as well so it helps me you know with my golf yeah. you know pulling uh, pulling uh, from different anchor points mm. and then that rotation rotation around uh, the core exercise I do a lot of planking things like that oh, yeah. Um, yeah so there's so just basically the more I do the better I walk mm. so it's a really important thing you know you've got to combine good technology but you've also got to got to be able to use it correctly too and how's your golf golf's fantastic got down to um Handicap is six, so uh, it's better than when I actually had legs. So that was the one thing that I was able to. <laughs> yeah, I was able to. Uh, to That's it. I'm cutting off my legs. Yeah. I want to get better at golf. Absolutely. If you're out, if you're out there, I, I've got a good surgeon that you can actually. Uh, <laughs> oh link. shit! Um, so, Bad joke. <laughs> so, uh, so one of the things with golf is it's uh, it's all of a sudden when I was playing football and active sports and contact sports that was out the window. So you can choose yeah. to sob and moan and bitch about that and say, mm. "Well, I'm never going to be able to do that again." Or I can put all my competitive juices and energies into something that I can still do. Mm. And my dad really, you know, proved that to me where he took me out and he forced me to basically hit the ball and say, yeah, you can still do it. How did he do that? He just took me uh, down and, and basically was encouraging me in a you know, very early stage to, to take me down to the golf course where, you know, we played a lot of golf, um, had some great memories. When you were a kid. Yeah, when I was a kid. and That, then, that uh, was probably part was, of your rehabilitation by yeah, getting you back out on the course absolutely. to remind you of how much fun it was. And it meant a lot to him, right? It was just something like he would have had these questions when I got sick. He was like, you know, I wonder if Mike's ever going to be able to do this again. Is he mm. ever going to be able to, you know, have a family? You know, is he, what's it going to be like? How's his mental state? All these questions. And and that's sort of something that he was, was probably a bit fearful of because I was so active and I relied on my feet so much in my life. Now, all of a sudden, they're gone. So all these questions would have been in his head. 
So he really just pushed me and we went down the golf course and I had a hit and he dropped me flat on my face, but that wasn't really the point. He <laughs> what? Yeah, he actually... How come he dropped you on your so face? So he promised me he'd hold me at the hips and, uh, and, I, and, and I got up and I was balanced and I swung back and I swung the ball and I hit it so well, he was just completely distracted watching the ball. <laughs> completely forgot to hold, hold me and I fell flat on my face in the middle of the fairway. Oh, no. I didn't hurt myself, which was okay, but it really... Yeah, uh, it, gave, it, it gave me the ability to say, wow, okay, I can still hit the golf ball pretty good. So I focused all my attention, my energy my competitive drive mm. into golf and being able to get back to a really, really uh, good level, which I love. And Do you use the same legs for golf? Different that, legs. So recently when I got these, they may be an inch and a half taller, so that completely uh, stuffed me with the new clubs that I had set up. Oh. So, uh, yeah, Why did I they make be, you taller? Uh, not, not really sure. Just went back there and they were like, uh, you know, and then I put the other legs on and I felt like I'd uh, shrunk a little bit and I'm like, I'm definitely taller. Everyone I'm walking around, they're going, are you grown a bit? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I have. Yeah, it can be as tall or as short as you want, really. Yeah. So that's one of the benefits, one of the perks that you can, uh, you know, there's always going to be benefits. Works well with the ladies. They yeah. like taller men. Absolutely, yeah. So what, what's the difference in the golfing legs? So the golfing legs are just my old legs. So they're legs. Oh, okay, that, so yeah. it's kind of like, okay, best way to describe it is when you come home from, uh, you know, a long day and you've been on your feet all day um, and you jump into your moccasins, for instance, right? Oh. Yeah, some, something more, a bit more comfortable. Right. It's a little bit like that. So when I go on the old legs, they're really comfortable. They're, they're, you can, they're not as rigid as the ones I've got now. Um, and I kind of feel like I'm in this really comfortable old pair of trusty runners mm. uh, that, I, that I once had. And, and that's what it's like when I'm swimming the golf club. I'm used to every single little bit of, um, you know, the way I transfer my weight and every nook and cranny in the sockets and the way they feel. I'm used to that when I'm swinging a golf club. And these ones are completely different to that. So I use those legs. Now I travel everywhere in my car. And whenever I want to have a hit of golf, I just pop the lo- those legs on and say, saves me having to uh, change the old boots over, mate. And I've got the... What's, what's your handicap now? Six. Six? Yeah, six. Mine's, it's going mine's out about yeah. 25. Yeah, well, that's I not am too bad. Hopeless. No, that's not hopeless. There's, uh, yeah, there's, there's days when I shoot twenty five over. I can <laughs> promise you. I, yeah, those are, those aren't. Uh, yeah, it, it's not always that low. I'm, I'm starting to drift out a bit now, which is, you know, I think due to the bit of, bit of everything. Mm. Cold weather's not very good because when uh, I, I played the uh, last Sunday, went down for a game with a buddy of mine. Mm. I had the worst freaking morning ever. Yeah. Um, stopped at the red, uh, red light, waiting for it to turn green, and an Uber driver smashes straight up the back of me at no. about twenty k's an hour. Yeah, and that was six in the morning. It was three degrees in Melbourne. I'm thinking to myself, why did I even get out of bed this morning? So we it's pulled his over. Yeah, we pulled over to the side of the road and then got details. And he had this re- this guy in the back of his, his Uber um, had come. He just finished a massive night. This guy, and he was like really flamboyant sort mm. of character. And he's going, oh my God. He goes, this guy, he just crashed in the, he crashed in the back of you. He wasn't even fucking watching. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, what are you doing? And then he goes, he doesn't even ask me. My neck sore, call triple O. My neck sore, take me to the hospital. And the guy's just like, you know, completely really? not engaging. And I just swapped details. And he was getting kind of heated. And I'm like, oh, look, you know, um, swapped details, got everything I needed. Then I left. And obviously, being a bit flustered, I've gone in, turned around, gone, started heading south on, on uh, St. Kilda Road. And then I've gone uh, like 72 kilometers through the camera. Bang, flash. Oh. So I got a speeding fine as well. No. It was the worst start to the day. I got to the first tee. I was in the worst... Uh, state like it was like oh, I really should just go home and there was frost on the on the fairway so your ball was crunching as it was actually hitting don't tell me you freezing cold no I didn't slip over but by the third hole I literally couldn't feel my arm so I'd become a quadruple amputee basically <laughs> couldn't even grip the club nothing at all so no limbs just this frozen icicle trying to get around this golf course and uh, it certainly wasn't the the best performance do that I've ever put in do you drive with these um, these legs or yep. or do you actually use hand 
things I, on the steering wheel. So, so my only restriction is I've got to drive an auto. I can't oh. use the clutch. Oh, yeah. So um, as soon as I got sick, that was something that um, was very, very liberating, was being able to um, move around and, yeah. and yeah, freely and go wherever I wanted because I was stuck in the one spot for a long period of time. So um, I just had to reset my license, mm. prove to them that I was safe, and away I went. Mm. So... You're uh, traveling around Australia, the world, doing these uh, these lectures, getting up, telling your life story, and you know how to uh, overcome obstacles in your life. Uh, wh- what are some of the experiences you've had with people in the audience coming up to you after the show, or, or helping other people in their lives to uh, to overcome yeah. horrible things that I have happened to them? One of the one of the most you know flattering things, and something that I'm always grateful for, is, is what people are willing to share with you. You know, people tell me some incredible things that they wouldn't wouldn't normally say, but because you're up there and you're sharing a part of you, people feel maybe a trust and a connection with you. Mm. So they come and they just they just lay it on you. You know, they say you know they tell you the most sometimes the most horrendous things that you're like, wow, you know that's amazing. And I had an incident the other day which was quite uh, quite terrible. I felt um, almost a little bit guilty. I, I was in the crowd and as I was explaining my story, there was a, a gentleman that was nodding his head and. And he had uh, he'd come up to me afterwards, and he was very emotional. And he said that you know he had experienced Minjikoka where he lost his son at the age of fifteen from it, uh, and that was a really tough tough sort of situation. But yeah. there's also anyone uh, who's ever who knows an amputee, they straight away come to you and go, "My uncle's an amputee," and I'm like, "Oh, I might have met him, yeah." So, so apparently we all, you know, that's the sort of that's it's the like your French. Do you yeah. know my friend Francois? Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it's like you know, yeah, same thing. Blonde person saying, "Oh yeah, my my cousin's blonde." It's like mm, I don't really, you know, I, I don't really identify with other amputees, and that sounds funny, but I don't particularly say, "Oh, that guy's an amputee. I want to be mates with him." Mm. What I do do is identify with, with attitude mm-hmm. and I surround myself with people that have got brilliant attitudes in the face of adversity. Mm-hmm. One of my best mates, Chance, he's a quadriplegic, an incomplete quadriplegic and he walks and he is the most inspirational, the most positive guy you've ever met. So he gets around, walks, can't feel anything below his neck. He can like pinch himself and all this sort of stuff. How does he walk? So he's called, what's called an incomplete quadriplegic. So he had a terrible accident where he dived into a, a pool and broke his neck. Oh. Yeah, it was a really uh, horrific stuff. But his attitude is something I'm drawn to because you just in, you never hear the guy complain. It's ridiculous. Like he's, a, he's the nicest bloke you'd ever meet. Never has a bad word to say about anyone. And then another mate of mine, Ben, a really good friend, um, he went blind over overnight at the age of 16 and he's again just super positive and that's what I'm drawn to it's that energy of guys that are just like hey you don't sit there and go oh you know I don't have any bloody feet whatever it is like you know don't dwell on those situations you just got to move on just got to keep, there, keep moving on and be positive and is there anyone that's, that's been in the same situation as you that they've asked you to go and talk to yeah so I do a lot of work with uh, limbs for life which is a peer support program and it's set up for amputees in particular new amputees and how to deal and adapt and to cope and what the actual end goal is for amputees from the moment they have their amputation and what's beyond that. So I go and speak to a lot of the time they get me to go and speak to the younger younger crowd. So it could be trauma, um, another fella that I'm speaking to and mentoring at the moment is about to have his leg taken off. He's not an amputee yet, um, but he's he's had 10 years of suffering with this, uh, trying to save this leg. And now he's come to the, the, you know, the, the, the solution that it's be, he's going to be better off without it. So um, helping people help through that, that process. Decision? No, I didn't. No, I'd never ever go in and say, mate, you should chop your leg off. Even if I might think that, I would never ever use those words or say that to somebody. The only thing I can really do is, is to give them a perspective and say, hey, this is my life. This is how I go. You have to make your own decisions. And, uh, and the pain that he is in when he walks is, it, it's hard. You know when you watch someone and they're in pain? Yeah. It makes you feel that pain and you feel sore watching it. Like, you know, when someone has a limp, you kind of wince as you're watching them walk. And that's kind of what it's like for him. And 
um, I, I just I just provide a bit of an end goal, and, and if that's something that he, if that's a decision he ends up making, I'll be there with him, helping mm. him through that process and uh, and what's beyond that. And I and I also try and look for you know how are they going to cope with their you know attitude mm. and, and the way they, they their outlook is. This guy is is already um, got that in spades. He's really positive, uh, you know, really great smile, great outlook. But this injury that he's had has been beating him down for a lot of years and. Mm. I just think that he will he will be he'll be shooting for the stars um, if if that's a, the path that he chooses to take. What about working with kids who have been in the same situation or dealing yeah. with horrible stuff like this? Yeah, that's that's always really confronting. And again, um, a young fellow I met in the children's hospital through the peer support program had lost all his limbs, and that's a really tough thing to to yeah. see and where to from here. And and just the smile on his face and what his family uh, had been through—it's just such an injustice. Um, you know, through no fault of his own, this terrible disease has, and it was something different to meningococcal, but the same sort of outcome. And then there was another fellow, a little fellow I met the other the other week, who's about to have both his legs taken off. Um, you know, at two years old. Jesus. I mean, imagine that. That that's just. Um, I mean, the only thing I can say about that is, you know, kids are very very adaptive and mm. uh, adaptable. Sorry, uh, they 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 get on with things, and you only have to go to the Osso Mobility Clinics, and you're surrounded by little kids running around with prosthetic legs and you're just like wow blows you away you know they just get on with things there's no complaints they try everything they fall over they get up straight away and they keep going yeah it's really inspiring it, it, that's got a lot to do with the elasticity of the brain and when when you're yeah. really young and you know you're learning to ride a bike and you're, you're learning to do new things yeah. kick a football and there's um, no scarring it's like like when when sometimes when um there's a problem with pregnancy and the baby might have a, a stroke or a heart attack it doesn't affect it as much as it would say, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old man, because their, their, their neuro patterns are still growing and, yeah. and working out how to walk and talk and do all that kind of stuff. So I guess that's the same with kids that lose their legs at such an yeah, early age. Absolutely. And I think uh, the biggest challenge that they face, unfortunately, mm. is that they grow so quickly mm. and they've got to continually get new legs all the time. So it gets yeah. really expensive for their parents. You know, that's, that's yeah. a tough thing, isn't it? You know, um, you've got, a friend of mine, Don Elgin, who's a Paralympian, uh, he's, he, he, when he speaks, he brings his first leg that he ever had, and it's his tiny little baby wooden leg, and then he's, he's got them positioned one after the other and shows how many legs he had as he grew. So I was, mm. in some ways, I was fairly lucky. Mm. Um, you know, when, when it comes to the prosthetics, I've only ever, you know, I've stopped growing. Mm. So I've had legs, and I've only had to replace them maybe every six to eight years. And uh, mm. I get some wonderful help from the people at OSA uh, who give me uh, the best available legs and uh, and help me to be as active as I possibly can be. Are they like a sponsor for you? Uh, I'm, uh, I guess, a loosely, yeah, I'm an ambassador for them. I like yeah. to to promote their products every chance I get. So, mm. um, yeah, they're 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 wonderful people, wonderful organisation, and the products are the products that they you know that they, I mean, what they do for amputees is is you know priceless mm. it really is and so um you don't just make your living from traveling around doing speaking to us didn't you have a gym or something like that with- yeah so i was in the fitness industry for a little while and uh and now i um i i, I mentor for you know facilitate workshops speaking those sorts of things so i've moved into that space i'm writing a book at the moment as well oh, cool. uh, which is coming out at the start of next year what's the book um, about it's about amputating dead weight so it's about um freeing yourself up from those negatives in your life actively getting out there removing those in order to create a better life and a life of, of more freedom and greater freedom so mm. it's uh it's it, that in a nutshell and um it's it's been a really interesting experience writing you mm. know you've got to go really deep into the topic and uh i you know i'm looking forward to um where that'll sort of lead and and, and what are, what other ways i can help the community and, and help um first of all amputees but also other people that are 
that are struggling with challenge and overcoming things in their life. So what do you think is the number one way to help people with just their general problems that in life, like someone might be having an angry boss they're dealing with at work or they might be having problems in their relationship. I mean, you're talking about all the things that you've been through yeah. and and sort of giving them the, the reasons you got through it to help them through their problems. Yeah. What, what would be the number one way that you tell people to, to, to just don't sweat the small stuff? Yeah, don't sweat the small stuff's a really important thing. To be really clear on what you value and not waste time and energy worrying about the things that don't really matter to you. I mean, that's a, that's a really easy thing for somebody to say, but it's, it's so true. Like what really matters to you in your life? If you get clear on the things that are most important to you and put all your time and energy on those things, um, you can really go to a different level. And it's one of those things where, you know, you've got, uh, you know, all types of different situations. And one of the things that I find is is really frustrating and something that I've adopted myself in my life since I took that leg off. I've done that again with other things in my life, you know, whether they're toxic friendships, something that's holding me back and something that's a really negative influence. Sometimes hard to let go though, being a human. It's like, it, oh, but that's how you grow. Hold on that's to stuff you grow, like yeah, absolutely. You can hold on to things, but at the same time, you've got to really calculate it and say, well, have I outgrown this? Have I turned, am I the same person? You know, you've got friends from school or, or those sorts of things, but I do, you still have things in common and are they the most important things to you? So it's really getting clear around what you value the most in your life mm. and making sure that if there's anything at all that's standing in the way from you contributing and being the best person for those people in your life, um, then it's time to address it and sitting by and letting things uh, go, you know, just cutting just, off the dead weight. Yeah. Just tumble along as per normal yeah. isn't going to help you. And eventually, you know, you can get yourself into a bit of a situation where mm. you do hit a crisis point where you're mm. like, okay, I've known this problem has been there for a number of years and I've left it there. Mm. Now it's turned into something that's become bigger than it should be. So a lot of people would just let those problems hang around through their yeah. life, but you and everything you've been through, you'd be like, right, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you wouldn't want to piss you piss you off being your friend. Uh, <laughs> you'd be like, no, it's, bad luck, mate. See you later. Dead weight. Bang. Gone. Yeah, I know. It sounds like that. But at the same time, I, I, I totally agree. It's not like sitting there going, well, you know, this guy is a very unforgiving guy. I'm, You're I'm, ruthless. Yeah, it's not. But, but sometimes <laughs> with certain things in your life, you do have to be ruthless. Yeah. You really do. Yeah. You really do. I'm not saying that can be friendships. But if, for instance, if you've got a problem with, uh, you know, a friendship and every time that person calls you, you know, when you call, someone calls you on the phone, you're like, oh, you know, roll your eyes. I don't want to talk to this person. All they do is sit there and talk about themselves. Yeah, it's a negative negative thing. Then instead of just letting that go by and saying, oh, you know, it's so-and-so again and and not not bring it up, address things. That's a really important thing. That's the message. Mm -hmm. Address it and say, hey, listen, you know, every time you, you call me, you know, amputating the dead weight could be amputating the actual feeling of getting so address the situation and, mm. the, and what's happening at the time. You know, every time you call me, you reel off about six problems that are in your life and it's really starting to get me down as energy and I'd really like to talk about other things or maybe something more positive. So just bring it up, you know, address it and, and therefore and it can improve. Go, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 but that's Rather right. than getting off the phone and bitching but about how it. Do people, how, how on earth can people change if they're not aware of, mm. of the situation? So it's bringing things into conscious awareness and then being able to change them. And that's the way we do it. Can we just have five minutes? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're probably in my room just chucking my stuff out the door right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was, we were supposed to be checked out of the yeah. hotel about an hour ago. Stuff but, you know, it's Sunday. Yeah. You know, like, but surely they, they can just give yeah. us another 10 minutes to I'll finish just, our podcast. I reckon I'll just, uh, worst case scenario, I'll just take my legs off and crawl down to the hotel. So, <laughs> look, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't get there in time. You know, we, we'll get away with it somehow. We'll come up with a plan. Do you, do you, do you ever, ever use that to your advantage and get away with it? Like, oh, yeah, you know what? Like I, getting in front of the queues at rides. I've had, and... <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. You know what? I don't do it at rides. I've had all sorts of 
fantastic uh, situations where, uh, you know, with blue spots, parking spots, I don't typically use them. But when I do use them, um, because I'm sore or I've got, you know, ingrown hairs, things mm. like that, um, yeah. and I need to use them. I've had people vandalize my car before, uh, all sorts of stuff, because what? I don't look like I've, I've got a disability. No. Yeah, people have spat on my car, what? all sorts of stuff. It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 the number one rule with that is here's a little tip for everybody out there: if someone has a sticker, shut your freaking mouth. You know, like they don't don't question it because you don't know what someone's going through, whether they've got a heart condition yeah. or whatever it is. It's just one of those things. If they've got a sticker, just just bite your tongue. And I do have a sticker, but anyways. Um, what was the question you, you, you asked a second ago? Like, do you ever get a, get away with things like, yeah, so, you know, do you ever use your disability yeah, to your advantage? Absolutely. Yeah. I won't lie about that. So the, the, the time that I do use it and I have to use it is, you know, obviously travel can be pretty taxing and especially long, you know, international travel. Recently went to America and my partner and I, you know, get to the point where I'm wearing shorts and they say, would you like to come in this queue? And I do take that opportunity to do that because I'm, I'm, I've got some fierce pain going on being stuck, cooped up in a plane. And if there's a, an expressway and I can get through customs quicker, then yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mind it. Yeah, absolutely. I, Why I, not? I would too. Yeah. Definitely. And get, like, get you into a concert and get you up like, in a better area. Yeah, so, so one of my main, uh, you know, this is going back a little bit, but my most, uh, one of my idols, I guess you could say, is Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. Oh, and wow. I, I love uh, Pearl Jam's music. And he came and did a solo tour. Mm. And uh, we were sitting at the Palace Theatre in Melbourne. And uh, the usher came along and, um, and I, I kind of like made myself look a little bit more cramped than I actually was. And I, I had my legs out like this and, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and then she walked past and I'm like, look, is there any way, do you have any more, a uh, little bit more leg room, so to speak, <laughs> even though I've got no legs? And she's yeah. like, oh, sure, sir. So she took, she took me down the front and I got third row back from the front, oh, Eddie Vedder wow. in this solo tour. And I was like, you little ripper. Why well, was worthwhile, not. right? Yeah. I um this this is really horrible. I I probably shouldn't be admitting this, no. but um I actually pretended once that um I had a disability. What did you do? Tell so, me the story. This is, this is kind of like a confessional <laughs> for me right now, uh, because I was the official announcer at the Paralympic Games, Sydney 2000, oh, no. and it was the closing ceremony, and I was up in my announcer's box, and I drank. Most of a bottle of Galliano Zambuca with a few of the other people who'd worked right through the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games. Kylie Minogue was on the stage and all of the athletes, the Paralympians, were in the middle of the field. And I thought, that looks like fun down there. I've got to get down there. And so what was, what was I, I limped onto the field. Oh, you're kidding me. You had a limp. <laughs> I just limped. I made up a limp. So I could get onto the field and watch Kylie Minogue on stage. And I may or may not have kissed a Canadian girl in a wheelchair. Oh, well, that's good. What a fantastic story. You know what? I wouldn't have, that wouldn't hold that against you. You know, that's, that's okay. You can be an honorary uh, amputee for the night. <laughs> it gets you in front of Kylie Minogue. What's wrong with that? Honorary amputee. Yeah. I feel so guilty telling you that. But oh, I've told that it. story a few times. I love it. And, and they, they had these massive balls that, that they were throwing around the stadium, these huge beach balls with all the different countries' names on them. And I woke up on level seven of Stadium Australia <laughs> on top of one of those balls at about 4 a.m. Far out. I think it's the, the Tonga ball. Hey, apparently it gets pretty loose at the Paralympics. Yeah. Really loose, yeah. I heard. Yeah. Some stories that I've heard. I've never been to the Paralympics. Unfortunately, they don't have golf. Uh, mm. Maybe one day. Maybe yeah. they'll pop it in there. But I heard that the uh, the village is, is quite rowdy. And seriously, yeah. they apparently uh, they were telling me the people who look after the Athletes Village for the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games. Oh, sorry. 
they look after the, the um, for the. I'm working at the Commonwealth Games soon, so that's why it was in my head. And the uh, the Paralympics, Olympics, and the Paralympics, they used more condoms <laughs> at the Paralympic Games than they do the normal Olympic normal Olympics. Games. There you go. Some Randy, uh, Randy, and Randy uh, Paralympians out it, there. It's it's actually the. Uh, oh, I don't know how to say this without sounding really bad, but it's apparently it's the the special people. Yeah, uh, Down syndrome people. Yeah, okay. They're randy little fuckers. Yeah. Well, there you go. I, I've, uh, I have heard that too, but, uh, you know, that's another story for sure. Catching them all over the place. <laughs> and not that I caught doing that kind of thing, but, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was an incredible experience working at the, uh, at the Commonwealth. At, I did it again. That was an incredible experience working at the Olympics and the Paralympic Games. And the Commonwealth Games are coming up soon. Are you doing anything with the Com Games? No, I'm not. No. Um, I don't really have a lot to do with, uh, you know, sports or Paralympic sports. I've got a lot of friends that have obviously, you know, mm. circles and things like that, that are people that, you know, do compete and mm. pretty amazing people. Dylan Alcott's another guy that um, that I bump into from time to time. He's an amazing guy, you know, the wheelchair tennis player mm. and basketballer, I believe he was for a little year. Very inspirational character, but... No, I, I don't really uh, get involved in, in sports, so to speak, apart from golf. Hey, what about your girlfriend? Where'd you guys meet? Yeah, so we met, uh, we've been together a couple of years now, hoping, uh, you know, maybe some kids in the next few oh, years. Cool. I don't know, yeah, but she's from Alabama, a southern belle with a, uh, with a massive smile and uh, she's gorgeous. Her name's Andrea and um, yeah, we live together down there in Albert Park and she's over in the States at the moment, so she couldn't join me for mm. this beautiful weekend up in Hamilton Island. She's stuck, just spoke to her this morning. She's got a uh, an eleven hour uh, training day, and she gets one day off a week. And she said, "There's no shops or anything to go to, and they're stuck in this little room." So I'm like, "Oh, you poor thing!" So I just sent her a whole bunch of pictures of Hamilton Island and the views from my bedroom. Oh. <laughs> Where did you guys meet? Uh, online, actually. We went. We met on uh, Plenty of Fish. Heard of Plenty of Fish yeah. before? Yeah. yeah. So um, we got got speaking and interesting. Uh, well, I might share the story uh, with you. It's yeah. a, it's a it's a bit of a crazy story. So we we got together, and she she loves to Google, and uh, she knew all about my legs uh, well and truly before I went on the first date. And no. and I just and, and and I didn't really. It's not like I I'm, I'm trying to hide it if someone asked me or anything mm. like that. It's an interesting one dating because it's like well, if people uh, don't want to go on a date with you because you have no legs or something like that, that's okay. That's fine yeah. because it's not you know not really a problem. For me, that's okay. I, I guess it's a good filter in some ways. And Andrea was just sensational. She, uh, we went um, and had the date, um, got along like a house on fire. We were chatting the whole night. I, get, I dropped her off at her house, gave her a cheeky kiss, and oh. then went home. And then she sent me this absolutely delightful message where she's like, um, just so you know, because uh, I had long pants, just so you know, I, I know about your legs and it doesn't bother me in any way at all. And I thought, oh, what a, what a beautiful message. And I called her and we started chatting and... Ever since then, we've sort of been inseparable, um, and we, you know, she's she's just a wonderful person. She is one of the most positive people that I've ever met in my life. She's always smiling, always happy, and that is such a such a breath of fresh air for me. Mm. Because there are days, obviously, when it when it is tough, mm. and um, you do have your bad days, but she uh, has a way of of bringing you out of that, which is wonderful. Oh, what a lovely girl! Yeah, she's awesome. And what she do for a living? So she's just over there. I uh, got a new uh, profession now, or well, not a new profession, new job with a, a company called Applied Medical, mm. where they sell those crazy things. Like she shows me all the videos. I can't even stomach them. It's like childbirth and things like that, where they Ew. insert a ring into the yeah. the stomach and then another ring outside. They roll mm. it down so mm. that they can make a you know instead of those those things those 
that pull up pull apart wounds. You know those. Oh yeah. What do they call those? Forcets. Forcets or whatever they call. They instead of that because it rips. They use this ring now, mm. and then they she showed me this thing where they pull a baby's head and they cut the sack and they pull the baby out of this double ring hole. And mm. I'm like, wow, that's quite incredible. Made me feel emotional, Mike. I was um, like, wow. You're getting clucky. No, no, you're no. You're gonna start and, pumping out yeah, babies, don't you? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, not me, hopefully. Um, but uh, she, yeah. So that's that's what she does for a living. She sells all those products. So she's mm. in surgery. Uh, she used to be uh, with a, another company that sold all those bone plates. So mm. when you bust your arm, yeah. they stick a plate on and the screws and everything that go in with it. She used to sell them. So oh, cool, man. She enjoys it. She's oh. got a, a good knowledge of, um, you know, well, she's she's really good with sales. Look at you, you know, yeah, a bit of adversity when you're 21. Yeah. Sure, you lost your legs, but, you know, you've got this incredible career now. You're yeah. traveling all over the world. You're doing talks. Get to meet, you're, get you're to meet famous people like uh, like yourself. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember I was t- telling Mike the other day that I, was, uh, I used to sit up late and listen to him... Uh, Crack gags all night on uh, Big Brother Up Late. I used yeah. to giggle the whole time. I thought it was hilarious. And you were my viewer. I yeah, wondered who I it was, was. That was me. Yeah, yeah, I was the guy ringing up. You were the viewer. Yeah. I thought it was a hot chick. Tell your guy to get. Tell that guy to get his hand off it. <laughs> <laughs> I always had my hand on it. I made a career out of it. Yeah. Hey, uh, Mike Wells, you're a true legend, an amazing Australian, and it's been such a privilege and an honour to meet you here this weekend. Yeah, I feel like we forged a friendship here, and yeah. and and we'll, we'll get to hang out more and, and do more stuff down the track because. Your story is inspirational and you're changing lives and it's, it's just such a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you too, Mike. Um, enjoyed every moment of my time in, uh, in Hamilton Island and also looking forward to uh, you know, getting that wonderful uh, golden tonsils down to Melbourne for some reason in the future. Yeah, man. Likewise. <laughs> if you're ever in Bondi Beach, I've got a spare room. Come and crash at my place. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Bring the Alabama Slammer with you. I will. I will. That's She'll be a bit of a handful. She loves <laughs> a drink, Andrea. So she's uh, and, she, and to party. Yeah, she can certainly uh, so, so outdo me. I'm always... Uh, uh, I think we should time, time to go home and she's always wanted to kick on. So Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, Get you to a home. Sydney Kings game. She'd love basketball. Yeah, absolutely. Being a yank. Awesome. Thank you, Mike Rolls. Thanks so much. You've been listening to On The Mic with Mike Goldman. Subscribe, download and review at iTunes, Audioboom, Stitcher or your favourite podcasting app. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents... The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.